Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Icarus Boreality with Shane Jones. What is up, Inquirers, and welcome to the expanse of Deep Open Mind Conversation. I'm the one they call Shane, and in today's discussion, we jump back to the roots of the show, and by that I mean a straight-up free-for-all conversation where we cover a variety of topics and conspiracies and our personal thoughts on them. This one was a lot of fun to record, and I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as I did. But before we can get into all that, First and foremost, we have to do the front of the house. So if you're not already following the show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, or Discord, highly recommend going and checking out all of those across social media. And if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, uh, or you're interested in having me as a guest on your show, or you're interested in sponsoring the show in some some way, shape, or form, uh, you guys can get a hold of me through email or through social media. Uh, The email is inquiriesallrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Or again, you guys can get a hold of me through any of the social media that I re- that I just listed. And uh, if anybody wants to report an encounter, you guys can do so through OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. No matter how big, no matter how small, I want to hear about them. And uh, from there, we can kind of figure out what you want to do with it, uh, possibly keep it between us, or I can possibly go out and investigate it, or maybe I could feature it on the show. But we can discuss that. But of course, we won't get to that point unless you guys share all of your fascinating, fascinating experiences. And uh, if you guys can't get enough of what I do, don't forget to check out Bizarre Encounters, my other show that I do with my awesome co-host, Oren. A bit different of a format than this show, as I always say. Uh, This is more of the interview-based show, or that's more so the deep dive show. But we definitely have some interviews that pop up over there. But I think you guys, if you guys enjoy this show, you guys will definitely enjoy that show. And if you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do all in one place, you guys can do so through OMM, Open Minds Media, that is across social media. And a lot of the time I keep stuff under that name to try to make it easier for myself, such as the uh, YouTube, the TikTok, and the Discord, uh, makes it so bizarre encounters and inquiries of our reality are all in one place. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys can become Patreon members. Over there, you'll get things such as ad-free episodes of the show, early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show, uh, exclusive merch store discounts, 
exclusive giveaways, and a plethora of a lot of other awesome things. But you guys can go and check out the tiers, figure out which one suits you the best, and uh, obviously hop onto the Patreon. We got to keep building that up for 2024, get to a point where maybe I can uh, do this full time and possibly be able to drop new awesome content for you guys every single day and not just podcasts, but also video-based content. And uh, speaking of video-based content, if you guys haven't already checked out Bizarre Inquiries, highly recommend checking that out. The first episode is up on YouTube, and uh, I will be posting those on the normal feed as they come out here and there. But it will be a weekly show as far as the Patreon goes. Uh, But if you're not a Patreon member, which again, highly recommend going and join the Patreon, uh, it will be a monthly show on YouTube and on the normal feed. So you guys can at least check out one episode of that a month. But uh, if we're going to be discussing a lot of different questions that are submitted by you guys, no matter how bizarre the inquiry may be. So don't forget to submit your questions if you want to possibly get featured on the show. And even if you're not a Patreon member, if you drop the question, uh, no matter what, I will uh, send you the episode and give you access to it, even if it's not one of the normal monthly drop episodes. But uh, yeah, of course, don't forget to uh, submit your awesome questions for us to discuss. And uh, hopping back into supporting the show, if you guys want to donate to the show directly to make it so I can get out to more events, Uh, Make it so that, you know, maybe you can buy me a coffee so that I can stay up a little bit later and uh, keep working on all these awesome projects for you guys. You guys can donate through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message, uh, shoot me a message. Let me know what you guys donated. And of course, like I always say, I like to give appreciation where appreciations do. And uh, number three, you guys can go and check out the Open Minds Media Merch Store. Always updating new designs on there, hoping to drop at least uh, one or two designs every month, every two months. We'll kind of figure it out depending on how everything's working out at that specific month, I guess, and how everything works out as far as normal life goes. But uh, definitely recommend going and checking that out. And uh, I do drop some random promo codes onto the Instagram here and there. So if you guys want a little bit of a discount, that's one way to do it. Or you guys can go on the Patreon and depending on your tier, depends on how much of a discount you get off in the store. So if that sounds like something that you might be interested in, definitely recommend going and checking out both. And number four, you guys can uh, leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five-star review, of course, I will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And uh, you guys can also share the show through word of mouth with all of your friends, family, anybody that you think might be interested in any of these bizarre topics that I talk about. And if you want to open the doorway, you guys can always go to the YouTube or the TikTok, uh, send them some clips from the show, possibly get them interested in it, suck them in, make it so they want to watch a full episode. Uh, And that'll obviously help out the algorithm, make it so more people are able to view and see the show um, through, again, leaving reviews, sharing the show, having more people interact with it. So anything you guys do, greatly appreciate. And if you guys don't do any of that, I just appreciate that you guys are listening to the show. But if you want to help me out just a little bit, you guys can set the show on auto download. So even if you don't listen to every single episode, it will count as a listen. And again, boost up the show in the algorithms. And uh, don't forget to uh, go and check out I Know Squatch, uh, one of the absolute best cryptid merchandise brands out there. Uh, Rick and Hans are always absolutely killing it with their awesome creeper designs. They're always dropping uh, new designs over there, new different merch style ideas. I know they recently just dropped this really, really cool camo Squatch hoodie. So I know I scooped one for myself. I uh, highly recommend you guys go do go and do so too because I think you guys will definitely enjoy it if you guys are into all of the Squatch style research. And uh, don't forget to go and check them out. Uh, speaking at multiple events, as we get closer to those, I will drop some of those dates. You guys can go and check those out. And, uh, if you guys are going to see me vending at any places this year, I will have, I know Squatch gear for sale. So you guys can definitely go and scoop some from me and, uh, we're going to kind of collaborate back and forth and, you know, they'll have some of my gear and stuff like that when they go out and vend, but you know, we're going to have a, have a symbiotic relationship going as far as helping to promote each other back and forth. And, uh, speaking of that, got to give a shout out to Joe. He's been supporting the show since the very beginning. 
And uh, I guess I've kind of been supporting his stuff since the very beginning, too. Uh, if you're looking for anything other crypto-related other than Squatch, of course, you know, you can definitely go check out some awesome Squatch stuff from Joe, but he specializes in anything and everything all cryptid and slash alien related. So I know he does his multiple series. I know he's been dropping a lot of new awesome stuff. So if you guys haven't checked that out recently, even if you checked it out like a month ago, I guarantee you he has some new stuff up there. So definitely go and check it out and scoop yourself some awesome gear, especially considering that half my closet is I know Squatch and Crypto Theology and my designs. Well, split between the three, of course. Uh, obviously, I really like it. Uh, it's not just uh, me specifically promoting it. They both do some amazing work. So if you guys want to go and pick up some of the best cryptid gear you could possibly pick up on the market, definitely go and check out Crypto Theology and I Know Squatch. And uh, for all my paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. It is the all-in-one paranormal investigating tool. I use it every single time I go out paranormal investigating. And uh, if you guys have any technical questions on it whatsoever, Barry is the guy who runs the Dimension Devices Instagram. He is also the guy that programmed and developed the device. So he can answer any of your guys' technical questions that you guys might have. And uh, if you guys decide that you want to scoop one for yourself, don't forget to use the affiliate link. I believe that even when he is doing special discounts, which I keep seeing him do a lot recently, uh, if you use our affiliate link, uh, this will help us out. And it'll also make it so that you can still get that discount price that he's putting up there, of course. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, content creator Patrick Jorgensen. How's it going today, man? Not too bad, man. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, I've been listening to you guys for about two months now and um, seen some of the, uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and seeing some uh, people from other podcasts jump on your podcast and, you know, love following it all. So appreciate uh, you having me on today. Well, I appreciate you making the time to come on today, man. And I also appreciate you listening to the show, checking it all out and uh, popping into the Discord, being active in the Discord. That's always something I greatly appreciate oh, yeah. too. Yeah, Discord's a really uh, good way to, you know, I find so many interesting people and things through that, and it's just got a, you know, it's a really good platform, to be honest. See, it seems like a back and forth between Telegram and Discord, but I've always preferred Discord, because it's like, Telegram, you got one channel, you can't really divide stuff up, so it's like, yeah. just for the sake of having a server where you have multiple things that kind of divide topics, like, I think Discord is yeah. way better, but it seems like Telegram, for whatever reason, is more popular. I don't I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I. I do uh, jump back and forth, and I do feel it's just not as personal like as Discord is. I feel like, yeah, Discord, I've got, you know, you can have so many different, like, yeah, pages, and I feel the interaction. You can, you know, you can frequent a couple of different boards, you know, like conspiracy boards or something like that, but you don't have to, like, you know, tailor to the entire, like, page or something if it doesn't have anything to do with what you're into, you know? I think that's what it comes down to. People can actually like set notifications for this specific channel or tab versus the entire thing. Yeah. So it's like on Telegram, you get notifications for anything and everything somebody's talking about. And this one, you can just set it up where it's like, oh, I won't only want to hear the paranormal tab or only this tab or whatever. It's just, I don't know, way better in my opinion. I like it. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. So, you know, I'm glad to see that the, uh, the discord's popping off and that, um, you know, it's just fun to pop in there and share little like pieces of like inside or, or pictures that you find that you find interesting and things like that, you know, and builds that community. So, um, yeah, good on that. But, uh, yeah, I like to, I'm a podcast, uh, producer myself. I do uh skeptical eye for the paranormal guys. 
um, we kind of off and on. I, I've had a lot of things happen in the last two years that kind of threw that off. But, um, you know, I'm still out there uh, basically just getting down to, you know, finding the interesting people and getting into the nitty gritty of the paranormal wherever I can, really. So that's what uh, my show is. And, uh, yeah. Well, I guess a really good spot to start because it always gets into the good meat and potatoes of the conversation. Uh, what got you interested in the paranormal? Was it like personal experiences or just interest in the topic? Like, what was it? Yeah, I really wish that it had been uh, like an experience kind of because, you know, those are the things that interest me the most, you know, the personal like stories of, you know, I was in my I was in my room and a ghost came or something, you know, like that sort of thing has always like interested me. And um, but no, I uh, actually it starts off. The uh, first, before I even knew really what ghosts were, um, my my dad had, you know, he was um, uh, like a, a civil engineer and he had a lot of people that he worked with. And uh, we would go to these um, little outings with uh, his his family, um, this other uh, client that my dad worked with. And he had a daughter that I would hang out with every once in a while. And um, before I even knew what ghosts were, she, would, she told me the story that she would call the um, a singing ghost. And, you know, um, when you're a kid, you know, she explained it basically that she'd like be sleeping in her room and she w- would hear something, you know, like music coming down the hallway. Right. And, you know, she didn't know what it was and she'd see this glow and then it would come this, you know, entity would come into a room kind of, you know, humming some sort of like, I guess, soothing, melodical kind of sound, you know, essentially singing to her. And, you know, she would freak out and she would put the um, blankets over her head and she would hide, you know, and uh, until it like went away, disappeared, something like that. And um, I actually remember getting so freaked out, uh, you know, because um, that <laughs> my mom, like, made me go and call my grandfather to confirm that ghosts did not exist. <laughs> and then ever since, yeah, it was kind of silly like that. But, you know, I was like maybe four or five at that time. And so, and then ever since then, I've pretty much been, like, really interested. Oh, and uh, I should say, and Rudolph as well, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that, that movie because of the uh, abominable snowman and then i found out that a yeti or there's you know such thing as a yeti and i was like all in about that so anytime i'd be at the library just you know alien abduction book uh you know uh what is bigfoot uh the loch ness monster all that sort of stuff and that really just kind of spiraled to be honest and just continued into adulthood and here i am basically Say, and then that inspired you to end up starting a podcast. You said before we started recording that it was like to kind of chronicle things. So are you more so doing it like for yourself and your own research more so than like trying to get it out to people necessarily? Uh, Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I just wanted to, uh, I'd have these discussions with my friends. So um, on our podcast, uh, I get usually three or four of my buddies together who varying levels of belief in the paranormal. And we kind of just really, it's just a pal around a couple of boys cracking cold ones and talking about you know crystals or um you know night marchers in uh hawaii or uh like you know i guess the the one that we just did was uh the mh370 disappearance and just crazy things like that so i usually what i'll do is i'll bring um you know interesting topics or facts to my buddies and they'll uh skeptically try and shoot it down and we'll have just crazy you know knockout brawls about it so it's a definitely a different show but yeah kind of categorizing and cataloging the uh the topics that i find most interesting in the paranormal 
Well, I guess that's a good spot to kind of branch into it because I've been kind of looking for somebody to talk about two different recent topics with one, that footage that came out as far as the plane goes. I'm kind of curious what other people's opinions are on that. And then I also want to talk about all of these 10 foot aliens popping up everywhere because there's multiple sightings and we can get into that afterwards. But to start with the plane thing, like what's kind of your opinion as far as like the video goes, um, anything like that. And I guess for any of the listeners that may not be familiar, uh, the plane disappeared and there was nothing that was said about it for years. Then all of a sudden this video surfaces where you have these three orbs that show up around the plane and then they start circling the plane and then there's like a vanish there's like a poof and it vanishes and the plane's gone. And I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen it, of course, go look it up on the internet to kind of know what we're talking about here. But uh, like, what's your opinion? Do you think it's, do you think it's bullshit? Do you think it's real? Like what's, what do you think? I, I'm, I definitely think it's real. I feel like um, one, because they have two angles of the plane or uh, I think one is like a satellite image and another is some sort of like thermal drone shot, you know? Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, and then, if anybody hasn't heard, uh, you know, the confessionals, you hear that podcast at all? Yeah, of course. Tony Merkel. Tony, yeah. Yeah. Tony Merkel. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, that podcast, uh, when I was looking into it, you know, I was just kind of skimming the surface. I found those videos. i really found it interesting. I was kind of like, Hey, I remember there was so much talk back when that actually, you know, when the, that flight had actually gone missing, you know, there's all this like, is it terrorists? Is it, you know, did what happened to the plane? You know, was it hijacked and sent somewhere? And all this so i really wanted to kind of you know i was i was definitely looking for an angle and so when i found these videos i was like hey you know this is a really good topic i kind of looked into it on the surface level i noticed that not a lot of um basically they couldn't confirm any of the pieces 100 percent that they were part of the plane you know uh they had done a massive crazy search of the area and you're kind of like you know not a lot of um places that you know floating debris could really hide I know that, uh, you know, the ocean's a big place, but even still, I was kind of, you know, thinking about that. So um, when uh, I heard that Confessionals podcast and um, the gentleman on there went really depth into detail of all these reasons, like, you know, why, you know, certain parts of the plane, you know, were identified, but they could have been linked to other pieces of plane. Um, just kind of, uh, you know, the eyewitnesses that he said uh, saw what was going on. Um, and then I've... You know, one of the things that I've been really interested in recently is just like portals and kind of the technology that, you know, possibly we might have that could, you know, who knows what they could do with that stuff. And so uh, I think he talked about that, too, where they think that it's, you know, there's like three points and they possibly sent it through a time slip, a portal. You know, that's kind of my I don't know what they would want to do with the plane, but I think that there was some. Yeah, that it dematerialized or something of that nature. See, that's kind of where I'm at with it is I don't think it's necessarily alien technology. I think it's human technology. And that's where like there's this hard divide between a lot of like the weird UFO type phenomenon that happens is because I think that there's half of it that may actually be something else from another reality, from another solar system. And then the other side of it is just advanced government technology that they're trying to hide because either one, if they came out with it, other governments are trying to recreate the same thing. Or two, yeah. then all of a sudden somebody knows what type of technology you have, and then they can't do these random attacks that nobody really knows quite where to place it at. What? 
But I more so am on the side that I heard a few people kind of theorizing about it, but I think it was like they were trying to test out a piece of technology because they knew that the plane wasn't necessarily going to make it out of that area anyways, because I believe that the whole idea is it was partly running out of fuel too. And then they tried to blame all the simulators. Uh, they're trying to blame the pilot for doing all these simulators about like crashing the plane, essentially, uh, not even thinking about the fact that, you know, he could just have been doing different simulators to try to be cautious, depending on what he was doing, because you want to be prepared for every single scenario. Like, you know, you, you're, you're not going to, you're not intending to crash. Nobody's ever intending to crash. But just in case you do crash, you do simulators to try to figure out how you could land properly to make it so that you have the most success rate of survival as far as that goes. But yeah, I'm, I'm on the side that I think it's some type of uh, government technology. And I mean, I dig into this whole portal theory thing, and I know that a lot of the listeners have been hearing me kind of beat this drum for a while, but I kind of dig into more so of like the natural portals kind of concept, where just because of the video that came out, I don't necessarily think it was like a natural portal, but as far as like Bermuda Triangle locations like that go, where everybody was kind of trying to throw it into like it may have been a mysterious disappearance like the Bermuda Triangle or any of the triangles around the world, I mean, that kind of fit into like my portal theory kind of concept, but... As soon as you see, as soon as that video came out, that's that's when it goes into a whole other thing. I think I definitely think it was government technology that they're just looking for the opportunity to be able to test out. Because I mean, even realistically, you have the black box; those things can be tracked anywhere. Doesn't matter if the plane's on the bottom of the ocean, where it's at. So if it was within an area on this planet, it would show up on the black box, and they'd be able to figure out at least where it's at, even if they couldn't get to it if it was at the bottom of the ocean yeah. somewhere. No, exactly. I mean, because that's how they recover other aircraft that probably crash in the ocean as well you know um i think that just how what's interesting is i just don't understand like other than testing out that technology i'm just like why this plane like what are they what were they going to do with the passengers afterwards if they did you know maybe they didn't i mean that's kind of that's where i kind of get a little you know that churning in your stomach like why would they want to do that especially with you have all these people on board you know there's lives at stake and you know it didn't Obviously, they didn't save them if they were going to, you know, because if it was running out of fuel or or it seemed to be, I think the last one of the last things that the uh, um, pilots got out was that they said that this was on the um, Merkel Media podcast was that the uh, plane was disintegrating in some capacity. So maybe that's what the pilots thought. So if they were going to, you know, do this because the plane was under some sort of stress. You know, they, it doesn't seem like they saved anybody. So why do that if you don't know what's going to be the outcome kind of thing? But I mean, you know, government technology, what are you going to do? I mean, they're probably doomed regardless. That's kind of how they were seeing it. And realistically, even on the other side, I said that there's this whole uh, differentiation between like the human side of stuff and the extraterrestrial side of stuff. It kind of goes the same for abductions that I think that, you know, there's abductions that are happening from extraterrestrials or interdimensionals, whatever way you kind of want to view it. Mm -hmm. And they might be doing things for like bag and tag kind of a concept, like almost like what we do to nature, just to observe and report and just kind of keep track of everything. And then on the other side of it, when you get into the government side of it, I think that there's a lot of like secret experiments that they try to run. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of different cases where a lot of the abductees will make comments saying that something looked like a mask on the main person that was like, operating on them or doing whatever. So I think that there's a split depending on people's experiences. And it seems like the ones that are, they end up helping people and then they kind of just like place them back. Uh, Those I feel like are the extraterrestrial ones because that's realistically how we interact with nature. If we're like bagging and taking a fish, if there's something we can fix real quick, you might as well fix it and throw it back first. Where all the people that have the horrific experiences of getting just all these weird random tests stuck out, done on them, this, that. Yeah. I think those are more so like the human ones that they're trying to run these secret experiments without 
the public be having any notice to it. And anybody that goes through them, you just say, oh, extraterrestrials abducted me and nobody wants to hear the rest of your story. And essentially they can do whatever the hell they want with the mask on. Especially if you add in the factor of after MK Ultra, all the different psychedelic drugs they're working with. Like you, you could get somebody jacked up on some psychedelic drug that the public isn't even aware of yeah. and completely manipulate their perception of what's even happening to them in the first place. And that's something I never really thought about is that they could be synthesizing things that are stronger psychedelics than even, you know, not DMT maybe, but you know, things like that nature that they could really get people into altered states of reality. So that is, that is something to think about, man. Cause um, you know, it's interesting too. Uh, I think, what did you just mention? Oh no, you just mentioned something that it sparked something in me there, but um, uh, just, I guess portals. Oh, back to the, um, you said something about portals and natural portals. And I was kind of thinking back to, I think there was a, uh, an incident uh, in the Bermuda Triangle in like the seventies where there was a plane and a passenger, like two passengers or something with this guy. And they were traveling through the Bermuda Triangle and they ended up going through a couple clouds and there was a bunch of like, you know, weird anomalies through this cloud and it ultimately ended up looking like they were going through a portal or it looked like some sort of like opening in the through the cloud and i remember them coming out fine but it was an interesting thing because uh you know what i've always wondered what portals are actually like you know there's obviously these i think that there's like you know natural portals like as you were saying um they're like that spring up in certain points around the globe i mean there's like the Uinta Basin or the San Juan uh, Valley in Colorado or, uh, you know, things like the Hoyobachu Forest. There's a lot of places where it seems like this, the the veil of, you know, interdimensional, extraterrestrial, paranormal kind of all coincide in one big area, you know. And Bermuda Triangle definitely strikes me as one of those with, you know, portals. See, my theory on it that I've kind of dug into, and it seems like it fits almost everywhere that I've looked into this at, the idea is that basically there's some type of volcanic activity that have happened at some point in time. It's created magnetized volcanic rock. And from after the magnetized volcanic rock, there is also some type of buildup of like quartz or some type of crystal or stone that's known to like save up energy. Magnify it. Exactly. So I think it's a combination of you have those two things in one place and then you project a certain frequency or hum at it. And that's how you open up the doorway, which I think that these planes, these boats, these different things that disappear in like the Lake Michigan Triangle, the Bermuda Triangle are playing a correct frequency at a constant pitch that with the idea of the circular magnetism that's happening from the volcanic rock in that area on top of the energy being charged up from everything that goes through there, you have those three things placed together and it ends up opening up doorways. Because even like digging into some of like the missing 411 cases, like you're getting it into Kentucky, for example, and that was honestly where a bunch of my research originally stemmed from. And you have all of these different caverns that are literally like circles of magnetic rock. And then you have the quartz deposit that's on top of the state. And you have like constant seismic activity that's happening underground. So I think a lot of these missing 411 cases happen because of the combination of the two and then the seismic activity causing a certain pitch or frequency. And I, my idea at least, I think that if you project a certain pitch or frequency, that's how you kind of pick where you're going to go. So if you don't know where you're going to go, it's like blindsiding at it. If you're putting a, just any pitch or frequency at it, but if you tune it to the right place, then I think theoretically you can open these things up to other places. Sound is quite a, a conundrum in itself, really. I mean, you know, uh, I think I posted something in the Discord earlier, just like, you know, those harmonic uh, geometric patterns that you get from certain frequencies, and it's kind of interesting to think about that. But it's interesting also that you said, uh, like, the volcanic rock and things like that, because in the San uh, Luis Valley, 
per se. I know that there's a, like a lot of geothermic, um, you know, stuff going on in there. And a lot of um, things that I've heard is that, you know, the, the magnetic lines or like geothermal is where a lot of, um, you see a lot of things like uh, UFOs up here. Cause sometimes, you know, who knows if it's, you know, they're able to like traverse that, um, you know, along those lines, like better or possibly like, you know, phase in and out from those areas. Like there's a, there's a whole host of what could be going on. So, you know, that explains a lot of things, honestly, if that's the case. See, I think it's a good combination of things, but I mean, even digging into the volcanoes, you constantly see UFOs that fly into volcanoes and disappear. So I think it's a combination of that stone specifically that it seems like anywhere there's volcanic magnetic rock that there's a lot of UFO activity. So I think that that's like, maybe if you you don't necessarily need like the energy source, if you have an energy source, like if you're flying a UFO, for example, but I think that you need some type of like circular magnetism in order to create that. And even if you dig into like the Philadelphia experiment, they're using magnetic frequencies to open up doorways. And that was how that whole thing went down. And for anybody that's not familiar with that, um, I believe what was it, 1920s or 1930s? It was at some point in between like World War One and Two. They're trying to see if they could open up a doorway for this uh, ship to be able to go through. And what ended up happening is that on the other side of it, people got fused into the ship. The people that went through it like went mad. So essentially they got the concept right, but they didn't get the delivery system right. And that digs into a whole other thing that sometimes it's like maybe we as we are now can't necessarily make it through a portal because everything gets shifted around. Maybe you have to have, again, another type of technology to counteract it in order to get through to the other side. Because, I mean, even all the missing 4-in-1 cases, you don't know where they're at on the other side. They could have been totally shredded or added into something. Or if a rock or something went through it with them, they could have phased into the rock or the rock phased into them. Like, who knows what happened to them on the other side of it? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of interesting to think, uh, um, you know, I mean, you were kind of touching on the, you know, the Philadelphia experiment. And, like, now with the, you know, maybe we're trying to perfect that technology that we started back then on this, you know, MH370 or whatever it was, you know? Dude, can you imagine how much more advanced we'd be like a hundred years later? Like if they're already doing that, there's no way they stopped doing it if it worked, even if people did get hurt. Like we're a hundred years later, they just got quiet about it. (laughs) Exactly. And that's kind of the, the, I think the, you know, the worrisome, not worrisome thing, but you know, what's interesting about today versus maybe like when I first started like, you know, looking into it, it's almost like feasible that, you know, ah, no, they couldn't have this technology. You know, we don't even have, we didn't even have drones, you know, at that point. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're in 2024 now and we've got, yeah, like, you know, drones, we can, we can FaceTime each other, you know, like who knows what the, what the government and anybody who's been in like tech has been able to cook up for the last like 50 some years, you know? I mean, on top of that, they say the government is at least 30 years ahead on technology because every piece of technology we get is trickled down because it was originally military use. Like every single object you could possibly think of that's our technology had some type of practical military use. And that's the only reason we have it now. Cell phones, internet, headphones, GPS, uh, recording devices, cameras. Play with your your cats with some lasers. Yeah, that had military practice too. (laughs) Yep, yep. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of crazy stuff. And I mean, um, I don't know if you've heard any of the, the the Sean Ryan show at all. I don't think I have. I don't think I've heard of that one. He's he had three um, he had three episodes that kind of uh, dipped into the paranormal, and um, one of them was actually about uh, direct energy weapons. And uh, he was talking to a gentleman who was stationed at the South Pole, um, worked for Raytheon apparently, but he was talking about. Um, 
the ice cube uh, neutrino detector, which I guess is um, super technical. I don't know what it is, but basically what he was claiming that it was, was it was able to, uh, you know, cause earthquakes, uh, um, that it was able to also uh, be a direct line of communication um, into space and things like that. And uh, I was actually looking into, um, I've been kind of digging into Antarctica a lot recently, just a lot of different reasons. But um, one of the things that really interested me was there was a uh, um, a series um, that, uh, have you ever heard of Forum Borealis? I don't think I've heard of that either. <laughs> that's, a, that's another good podcast, but um, they were talking with Cliff High um, about just Antarctica. And uh, one of the things that he was saying was that, um, that apparently there's these, uh, let me look, sorry, I got my notes over here, but uh, there's these satellite... Um, there's satellite images that people have been um, detecting these like strange rays and beams that have been coming up from Antarctica. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, like that could be tied to this uh, neutrino detector possibly that this uh, gentleman on the Sean Ryan show was discussing. Um, and just like the technology that, uh, you know, we clearly have that maybe even in, you know, plain sight uh, that could be used for strange purposes. Like I remember uh, people talking about harp back in the day. I think that's like the high altitude uh, atmosphere. I don't remember, but people were claiming that it could use or be used to, uh, you know, like weather modification, things like that. See, the funny thing about Antarctica is that there's so much into it that it's like, I don't even know where to start to even start tearing that stuff apart because it's like you have the weird advanced technology that could be existing there. But I think that there also is a side of stuff that may have already existed there. And that's why it's partly there. Because you have all this stuff with like the pyramids, for example, that people have claimed to have seen the pyramids up there. They've seen them in Alaska. Obviously, everybody knows about them in Egypt and stuff. But it's like we don't necessarily know the practical use of these things. When it comes to like Egypt, with the original Egyptologists that would go there, uh, they never actually found bodies in the pyramids. They found them in like different areas nearby. But then when they asked the people at the time, like what the pyramids were, they said they represent us. And nobody really like understood what the hell it was. So it's like, there could be multiple different ideas to it. I mean, they could be some type of like star, something that harnesses energy for stargates. They could be something that, um, you know, has to do with like the stars, maybe projecting out a signal or something to make it some, some form of communication. I mean, my other theory that I kind of threw into it is that maybe things have shifted over time as far as like weather patterns go, where obviously everybody knows that Egypt at one point, uh, used to have a bunch of green foliage and then maybe the Arctic and Alaska also may have been the same or digging into my theory that I was kind of going to throw at is maybe these pyramids theoretically were a means of being able to terraform these areas. So, you know, we, I don't know exactly when they discovered the pyramids in Alaska, but then there's the whole thing where, you know, there's like land people claim that there's land masses that are green and luscious and all that in the Arctic. I mean, maybe part of it could be because there's pyramids there. Maybe they are some type of thing for terraforming or on the other side of it, you know, maybe the reason why people are, uh, I mean, well, there's the areas where the pyramids are that obviously like are frozen. People have seen them in the pictures. And then there's the other side of it where there could be spots where the pyramids are making it so that people are inhabiting these areas. Or again, I don't know when they were discovered, but maybe the reason why there's those areas now or because people discovered the pyramids and they knew that there is some type of terraforming idea to them. But again, the Arctic, it's like there's so many different avenues I could go down for this one. So wherever you want to steer it, man, I want to get your thoughts and opinions on this. I mean, just, uh, you know, Antarctica, I don't even even know either. I, at first now, I've been, you know, at first I was kind of like, okay, before I think um, I started really looking into it, I'd heard 
you know, the uh, the talks about like Admiral Byrd and there was some like secret UFO war going on, you know, that happened. And I was kind of like, you know, I kind of skeptically looked at that one and I kind of like turned my away. And then I started, um, I actually read a couple of books um, just about, uh, have you heard of Andy Jacobson perhaps? I don't think I have either on that one. You're actually getting me today on some stuff. Uh, she, <laughs> sorry, yeah. Um, well, she so she first she wrote a book um, called uh, I believe it was Area 51, and basically it was um, I feel in my opinion it was kind of uh, a nice sanitized piece about what had been going on because I think a few years back there was also this big craze. Everybody wanted to go storm Area 51. Area 51 is where all the alien bodies are. That such and such. And um, but she had written a book um, basically ca- kind of chronicle chronologically um talking about like the uh the secret spy planes and the u2 and the sr-71 blackbird that were developed out there and um kind of her theories or not even her theories apparently she was told this in the book it's the the claim of what actually crashed at roswell and all that was that um there was i think it was russian yeah it was like a russian uh basically a russian experiment where they put not mutilated kids but kids or children who had deformities into a craft somehow it crashed in the roswell desert and that the the russians did that to scare america basically because um if you'd heard of the uh what was that the the war the reading of the war of the worlds that happened in like the 30s yeah where everybody freaked out and had no idea that it was fake (laughs) yeah they uh Apparently, they were trying to do another psyop on us. In her book, this is what you know she was claiming, and I was kind of like, okay, that's interesting. But then um, I went back and kind of looked into the, uh, you know, the interpretation that, um, like, that you know our enemies or somebody else was in the in those craft that they weren't actually you know extraterrestrial or something of that nature, but they were actually like uh, you know Nazi technology or something like that, um, and. Then I was kind of like, okay, why would that, you know, let's just imagine that, you know, Russia wanted to send a craft all the way to our, our, you know, side of the neck of the woods. Wouldn't it have crashed somewhere in California or on the other side of the coast? You know, one of those two coasts. Why would it be down in the, you know, the southwest area? And then, uh, or even Alaska. I mean, I don't know when we got Alaska, but Alaska would have been a perfect spot too, because it's right there. Yeah. I, (laughs) I didn't think about that. I'm like, yeah, you're right. We are. Um, but exactly. And so I'm just kind of like, uh, what's this all about? So I kind of looked into the, you know, the, the Germans were very into, um, uh, Antarctica apparently. And they'd had, you know, they, they established new Schwaben land, I believe, uh, down there back in the thirties, I think. And there's a lot of just, you know, German, you know, looking at, at Antarctica, basically. Um, not sure why exactly personally, but you know, they were checking it out and, um, one of the things that, you know, I'd heard about was this, um, that the U.S., I think it was Oper- Operation uh, High Jump or something where they went down there and mm-hmm. there's yeah, conspiracy that, yeah, there's conspiracy that, you know, they were at war with something or like, you know, we lost a lot of assets. There was like uh, talks of the flying saucers involved. And uh, this is kind of another rabbit hole that kind of gets crazy. But um, the, you know, let's just say that it was, this was in the, I believe the, late 40s early 50s correct yeah you know world war ii had just wrapped up um you know there's a lot of talk of the nazis 
running and hiding in places like Argentina. I think it, you know, not even like talks of it. I think it's like proven that, you know, Nazis have been, you know, down in Argentina and escaped after the uh, fall of the Third Reich. Even on top of Project Paperclip where they're just picking which which people they wanted and every government was taking a handpick of the Nazis. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, they're like, we got to get out of Dodge. Um, You know, potentially they had, you know, swaths of scientists and people who are in you know other locations perhaps i'm not sure but my idea was that you know if there was something like that and this technology was you know let's just say it was like they were planning on the nazis had like a planned attack on us or something you know well now they're coming from south america the first thing that you'd hit coming up from mexico going straight up new mexico right there so i mean this is kind of like a far-fledged thing that I've thought about, but I'm just like, hey, you know, there's a lot of connection there. I'm like, if it was going to be a non-human, or if it was going to be a human origin, I don't think that it would have been the uh, the Russians, but I would have suspected the like the Germans, and that it would have come up from, yeah, the South. I mean, I can uh, theoretically see that though, because. There's the whole idea to begin with that the Nazis always had some type of occult thing that they were digging into to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were always trying to look for things that were going to end up being some type of advanced weapon. So just off of knowing that aspect about them, they obviously had some type of interest in the Arctic because they thought that there was some type of weapon there that they could use or there was some type of occult meaning to it to begin with that they were digging into. And then when you go into like South America, like they see UFOs so much, it's not even funny. Like I had this researcher on from Mexico who's been trying to kind of break into the US side of stuff. We had some issues trying to record and stuff. I had to use like a translator and everything in it, but it's like regular. And everybody that I've talked to from Mexico, they, they see UFOs all the time. So, I mean, even theoretically, if that was a probability that they're in the Arctic and they sent something up that would have ended up being in the US, I mean, if it would have flown all the way through South America, like it would have been normal to them. Like they wouldn't have made all these reports about it. And of course there wouldn't have been any kind of report unless it crashed anyways. So, I mean, like Mm -hmm. that seems more logical coming up from the bottom than it would coming from the other side from Russia, just because again, they would have, they would have crashed into Alaska, for example. But again, I don't, I don't know exactly when we got Alaska. I know it was, it wasn't like when we first set everything up, I think it may have been like 1800s, maybe early 1900s or something, but I think it was in the night. I'll be honest. I think it was in the 1900s, to be honest. Uh, not, I don't need to look that up, but no, that's that's interesting. And I mean, that also goes to what you were talking about with the uh, kind of the occult meaning to the Nazis and things like that. I mean, you know, basically uh, pre-alluvial societies, perhaps too. I mean, you know, the, going down and finding something from you know super ancient that might be on there. 1867, by the way, is when the U.S. got Alaska. So it was already our territory by then. Yeah, perfect. But uh, yeah, definitely, um, I guess kind of talking about South America too, kind of diving back into another whole rabbit hole that I said I wanted to kind of dive into. Uh, The 10-foot aliens that are being seen everywhere, or as they claim, extraterrestrials. Because we had the first thing that happened in Las Vegas, and then we had this last thing that happened in uh, what Miami, Florida, that's still kind of ominous, and nobody really knows what's happening with it. But bringing it down to South America, you have the Peruvian face peelers, which all still kind of hit the same checkpoints. And like my question that I'm trying to kind of pull apart on this is they're pushing this whole disclosure concept forward as much as possible, but it seems like a lot of it is kind of weird and for self purposes more so than it actually is about disclosing actual extraterrestrials or aliens to anybody. So I don't know if you've dug into the whole thing where like Tim Alberino went down to uh, Peru and he was actually talking to the villagers, got like their firsthand stories from it instead of everything getting pushed up through. 
and he was talking about how a lot of it wasn't necessarily reported right, that the uh, the military never actually went down into Peru, they never went to the area where these people were at, and the original girl that got picked up where um, they were literally like cut, cut the hell out of her neck. Um, they put this like weird gel stuff on her face and everything. And she was claiming that she was hearing them speak English and or not English. They're speaking uh, Spanish. And then maybe I think one of them may have been speaking Spanish with like an English accent. I think that's what she was saying. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have those things that are 10 foot tall, but they look more robotic -y than anything. Like they talk about how they're wearing these like, either silver or like dark metal suits they have on these boots with these like little ring things on the bottom of them um that as he was describing said like looked like they would have been really really hard to walk in so they looked like they were hovering and they'd have these like circular boards not like normal boards like you would expect so yeah. again when it comes to all of these are they all linked are they all the same thing or is it all just diff different areas of government technology and then that kind of push going forward i mean project Bluebeam, the whole concept of faking an alien invasion yeah. to actually form a one world order i was talking about yeah. this for a while that i was saying if you're going to do these attacks you wouldn't want to do them all in one area you want to do them scattered throughout a bunch of different countries so then everybody's a little bit scared because it's not happening on the other side of the world so like the the whole idea of the 10 foot because i don't know what the other two look like i've only seen the really good description of the peruvian face peelers could they all theoretically be the same thing? Are they all government technology? Like, what, what's kind of your idea on it, man? I mean, that's a good. I I honestly have no idea. Um, you know, the the Las Vegas alien one was interesting because you see something, you know, in the sky right before that happens, and then because uh, I don't think, as far as I've seen, I haven't seen actually like any video of uh, anything that came out of the Las Vegas thing, other than the uh, the cop body cam. It's beyond scrubbed, even if there was anything at this point. Yeah, yeah, right, like on that but just uh you know that's a good question i that's one of the things that i've been thinking about though is like the the project blue bean aspect of it like you know the first thing i th think there was uh there was some famous i don't maybe it's not famous but it's famous to me the the quote where they're like first you know this is going to be our enemy then this is going to be their enemy and then finally you know like we're going to unite under yeah what you were saying like the the alien invasion so that's that's definitely a possibility and it kind of makes sense if there's you know, little sporadic instances. And I mean, they've only really, when was the, the face peelers was like last year, maybe like six to eight months ago, I'd say roughly around that area. Yeah. I don't think it's been yeah, fully it's a year, but it may have been. Yeah. I mean, now time flies so fast, but there's just so many things that, you know, and then I believe July was when the, uh, yeah, the Las Vegas crash happened. So, you know, it could be the, the beginning of something. And I mean, you know, the world's kind of crazy as it is right now. So, you know, adding a little bit of that in makes a lot of sense to me, especially, um, yeah, I don't know. You kind of, I don't know if I want to get into that too much, but just, you know, distrust of the government, not sure what they really want. You know, clearly the military, I'm kind of, you know, in the camp that the milita military industrial complex really controls the whole world at this point, and it's no longer just like America. It's kind of, you know, the the global elite with the with the people who make all the the weapons kind of so see this is going to go into some crazy conspiracy theorist rant but oh well it's that's it is what it is so yeah. there's the um, the whole idea about there's all these different people have prophesized like world war three happening uh there's been a few of them that have claimed something along the lines of it's going to start off as a holy war in the middle east which kind of fits where it's at right now but i think that yeah. it's going to be a big combination of things that you have the ukraine versus russia you have 
the whole thing with Israel at the moment. And then you have everything that's happening at and everybody's own home soil where it's like conflicting views to the point where nobody can get along anymore. I think that they're trying to do this whole idea where they're going to have everybody so massively divided into multiple camps and they're doing it on purpose because it's almost like that concept where like if you're going to recreate glass, you have to take the old glass you had, you completely shatter it apart and then you can re-put it back together and it'll reshape itself. So I think we're in a process of that trying to happen, that they're trying to make it so that everybody is so divided and shattered apart that everybody is just in a million different pieces where everybody's almost begging for everybody to come back together because everybody gets to a point of being so divided. And then they throw this extraterrestrial disclosure stuff on top of it, and that's going to be the remending piece after shattering everybody. So I think it's going to start off as like a World War III concept, but they never really, like, they said it's going to start as like a holy war, but I think that that's going to be the start and it's going to turn into something totally different. And it's more so pushing again this whole form of like the one world order, putting everybody together. But again, I think you have to completely shatter everything before you're able to like remend it back together. Otherwise, you're just broke, you have a bunch of little shattered pieces of glass instead of it being one solid sheet again at some point. Like you have to completely demolish it in order to rebuild something. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely, like, that makes a lot of sense, you know? I mean, especially, yeah, with everything going on, it almost feels orchestrated. And uh, also to the fact of, you know, we've been over the last, I'd say, what is it? Uh, maybe like, yeah, about seven-ish years now, it feels like we've had a really, a very soft disclosure kind of going on, you know? Just uh, these little bits first, you know, it'll be like, oh, the New York Times is actually talking about, you know, you know military UAP sightings and then... It kind of goes into the, you know, the, all these house hearings and they get the whistleblowers coming out. And, you know, it's really interesting how it feels like a lot of interesting fluff has been thrown our way recently. And then, you know, you get all these, um, you know, these interesting accounts of, you know, like the, the Vegas thing or uh, uh, what just happened out in Miami. And you kind of it starts this, you know, snowball where you're like, OK, so, you know, what is what's going on, really? You know, I mean, maybe it's just maybe it's all hype. Maybe it's nothing. But. You know, there's a lot of smoke for there to be no fire, you know what I mean? Or, I mean, it's the whole concept that they're trying to stir stuff up so that they can test technology and people are going to say, oh, it's aliens. Because if they just see some weird technology happening, nobody quite knows where to place it. But if they're like already projecting the idea of aliens, aliens, aliens in people's heads, then they see something weird, they're going to associate it with aliens automatically. So, I mean, yeah. there's that whole idea of it. Or there's the other side of it that... Maybe it's something more like almost what they were doing with like the giants when they were originally finding the giant skeletons that they're ominously like, yeah, we kind of know about them. Like, what do you guys know? And they're more so trying to get everybody's information pulled into them. And then as soon as they get the information they need, then they're going to cut it all off and pretend like it never happened and scrub everything like they did for the giants. It almost seems like they're in a weird way trying to select who they want to be the researchers for it, seeing who will pick up on the breadcrumbs. And if people pick up on it, then they'll take those people into their circle and then they'll shut everybody else off and nobody else will hear anything about it again. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, yeah, like, well, completely where the, you know, like the Smithsonian getting in there and really kind of, you know, muddying the waters of archaeological stuff. Um, I haven't looked so much into the uh the giants but i definitely i've i started reading a book about it it's like the giants of that ruled america or something like that um but that is an interesting uh take and it kind of goes to the question like what you know what was before are these old things are they you know what are they really you know giants i've kind of come to the conclusion i've um i know that there's like two camps kind of about the giants there's kind of like the the biblical nephilim kind of side of things and then they're like in my opinion i'm like 
I kind of go more ancient aliens route, and I kind of think that it, like, possibly like the an offshoot of the Anunnaki that might have been, you know, they were messing around with genes for who knows how long. They could have created a bunch of different things that during that time, you know. I mean, the Giants, I kind of go a bunch of different directions on it. Like, the Nephilim concept is definitely interesting to me, don't get me wrong. Um, but they're, they're, they're mentioned through literally every single ancient folklore. There is some form of Giants. And maybe that's just because we have, like, a natural fear of being smaller than something. Or the other side of it is that there's actually, like, truth to it. And a lot of the different intakes of the Giants are through multiple perspectives. So you have people that come from the biblical perspective, and of course they're going to put them in yeah. you know, the Nephilim camp. You have people coming from the alien perspective, and they're going to put them in the alien camp. But regardless of what you want to call them, there is definitely some reference to there being bigger beings than us somewhere along the world at some point. Because, I mean, in Egypt, you know, people try to be like, oh, they try to depict the pharaohs as just being bigger than them. But it's like, all right, well, why are they portraying them so much bigger than them like that doesn't really make any sense especially when you add in the whole like giant doorways all over egypt they have the giant sarcophagus and then you get into america and you start looking at all of the old news reports and there's giant skeletons everywhere buried with uh smaller skeletons so like you know that they're around at the same time then there's like the native stories of like lovelock cave where they claim to have chased all of these different uh all these giants into a cave and essentially set yeah. fire to it and amongst yeah. all of this folklore especially like the Nephilim concept, the Native Americans concept of them, all of that, even when we start getting into like the Afghanistan giants, all of them have the same motif that they seem to have two rows of teeth, red hair, and there's usually reference to six digits. So again, it's like there's the idea that it's just something that's a common idea that gets pushed amongst everybody, people around the world, because it's just bigger humans. It's not that far of a concept to get off. But when you start getting into particulars like that, like always red, like red hair, the double rows of teeth, all of that, that's like, that's too particular for it to just be, just, just be a complete accident that all these people were making the same descriptives of these things. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like there has to have been something, even if they were something that was dying out by the time humans were around and they were just trying to keep their, keep, keep alive. Or you get into the whole like Anunnaki concept that these could have been the people that theoretically like created us or like planted the seed of life. I mean, there's, there's something to it. There was, and I mean, even digging into the whole idea too, about how, you know, during prehistoric times, because again, we don't really, we put, we piece stuff together. We don't know for sure. Realistically, like you have the whole concept that when there was a lot bigger plants in the area, then there was a lot bigger animals in the area. And it was like this habitating back and forth ecosystem that there's more oxygen then there's more carbon dioxide back and forth. So it's like, if the plants were huge, the bugs were huge. The, mo- the animals were huge. Everything was huge. If there were some type yeah. of humanoid being that was around at the time, why wouldn't they be fitting to the same size as that? Why would they be so much smaller than everything else? Because if bugs were getting big, why wouldn't humanoids get big too? Like it would just fit with the, right. how the ecosystem was set up at the time. So it's just, there's too many yeah. fingers that point to a yes for me than a no that it's like people, any people are trying to cancel it out. It's like, I, I don't get it. And even people coming from like a biblical perspective, they don't get into the whole Nephilim concept. There's even still, um, there's still David and Goliath. Like there's still, even in like the standard Bible and standard teachings of the Bible, there's still references of giants. So it's still there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, uh, what was it? Um, have you, uh, do you follow any of, uh, Stephen Greer's work at all? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he did, uh, this whole series, um, about, well, it's not even a series. It's just a, a compilation of, uh, of people in the military and stuff like that, that he ended up interviewing and doing all sorts of things with. Um, and one of the people that he ended up talking to, I believe was, 
Don Phillips, and this guy, it, it's just a small reference. They have a, it's a whole like hours long um, interview that he does, but he was an Air Force pilot. But he ended up talking about um, that they had, uh, there was these caves up in the, uh, the Wabash Mountains, I believe. Um, hold on, sorry. Real fast. Hold on. Oh, you're good. Just so I can, just so I can get it right, you know. But uh, yeah, he he basically said that um, he had some knowledge that uh, there was these caves up in the uh, the Wabash Mountains. I believe I'm saying that right. Uh, but these native um, tribes actually were like the guardians of these caves, and in these caves apparently were um, the remains of. Uh, uh, and he says in his own words, uh, people who were over seven feet tall, uh, light skinned with red hair and bl- red and blonde hair. You know, so there's these like, um, you know, these graves essentially that were guarded by these native tribes forever um, that have seven, over seven foot tall, you know, gigantic, you know, bodies of these beings that apparently some of them had red hair, you know, so, and I mean, who knows what that is? Because that's one thing that I've noticed too, is there's a big red hair connection um, in to, you know, the Nephilim to the, uh, the giants and apparently, uh, I mean, even in Afghanistan, I think they still dye their beards red. I don't know if that has anything to do with that, or I know Alexander the Great had gone through that area, and maybe it was like a callback to, uh, you know, when there were more... Because there is red hair is found in Afghanistan as well, I think. Just like, uh, you know, whatever that is. See, I had uh, one of my friends, Gabe... Um, shout out to him if he's listening to this, but, uh, he mentioned that he was digging into the red hair gene. He said it actually started in the middle East, which again would also could theoretically make sense with the whole idea of the red haired giants that everybody kind of associates them with like the whole biblical thing, like the giant of Kandahar, maybe they did originate there. And of course, just like everything else, it's going to spread out. Like people have theories that life for like us, for, you know, standard human beings started off in Africa and everything spread out and everybody kind of adapted to their regions. So, I mean, theoretically, it could kind of be the same thing. And, I mean, even making reference to the blonde hair that you were saying, if you lighten up red hair enough, it kind of looks like a blondie color. And especially if it's been sitting over time, it's been not necessarily rotting because hair doesn't rot like that, but just gets discolored through time. Like, there's still a good chance that even that blonde hair may have been like a really light red-haired color, too. So, it still could have fit that whole idea, too. Exactly. I mean, you know... it's also the fact that you notice that these giants are just like, it's not just American giants. There's not just like, you know, there's gigantism that, you know, people have found all over the place. And I think like some of the skeletons are like, um, like crazy large, you know, like goes over like 15 feet, I think in some cases. And that's like, that's kind of crazy, you know, to think about. Cause you're like, you know, are these, there's just so many possibilities going on in my head where I'm like, you know, it could be, you know, the, the, I mean, you know, maybe something pre-alluvial kind of like from the the way back times, you know, that just kind of ended up, you know, hiding in caves and, you know, their way of life's destroyed and they don't have the technology. Because I know um, if you read Graham Hancock's work, there's, uh, you know, he talks about the Viracocha coming and there's like these, uh, you know, beings or this man who comes and he, he basically reseeds, uh, you know, knowledge to the people after the great catastrophe. And I'm just wondering if, you know, these, you know, these people or beings or whatever um, came in, like passed off the knowledge, but, you know, like not all of them were, you know, so lucky, you know, maybe some had to hide, you know, in the, in the far reaches of like Afghanistan or in, uh, I know on like the border of China, there's talks of it as well. 
I mean, even just kind of digging into the whole concept of like the standard way everybody thinks that dinosaurs may have theoretically went extinct was from a giant meteor. If there was some type of humanoid, assumably it would probably be one of the more intelligent species on the planet. So it may have gone underground during that time and eventually just adapted to live underground. And now it just doesn't really know anything different. So, I mean, that could fit in with the whole thing about why these things are seen in caves specifically and the time area of like where their size could have theoretically came from. And I mean, even digging into like, um, you know, all the different cultures that talk about how they received knowledge from these things. I mean, they could have even theoretically went underground, came above, had this kind of different back and forth, and they could have seeded life theoretically. But just depending on the different depictions of it, people kind of created different stories of it. So if these things came back out of the ground in Egypt, they saw them as royalty. They could have talked about them as like the Anunnaki, for example. And I mean, everybody talks about the whole concept that language can be easily manipulated. So they talk about how these things came from the sky. They could have came from a cave high up on a mountainside, for example, and they saw them as coming from the sky because they came down from the sky off of a mountain. Like there could have been a lot of little weird things like that. that kind of just play telephone through time and took on a totally different meaning when all they could have meant is they came from someplace up high and then people added the sky and then it just kind of went on from there. And now people are holding that yeah. to a T that these Anunnaki came from the sky when it may have just been a tall mountainside that these things just popped up and showed up from one day because they were living in the caves and they could have been there since the prehistoric times when the last great cataclysm happened. Yeah. I mean, right. Cause they, I, I mean, yeah. Translations always, especially like, you know, the people who are going through, um, especially when you get back into like the, you know, um, I guess like the biblical, like the Semitic languages, like Hebrew and all that stuff that, and what's crazy too about, um, now we're talking about Hebrew, but just the fact that there's like languages that actually like have numerical meaning and there's a lot of like, you know, I mean, spells you cast, you know, you spell things out, all those crazy things that you can kind of, you know, bounce off into that. Uh, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but you know. No, I mean, just again, just different differentiations of words too. Cause I mean, like in Hebrew, Jesus's name would have been something totally different. I'm forgetting it off the top of my head right now, but just talk about like the power within words anyways, and think about how many words have been actually deterred from their original meaning. And then all of these different folklore stories about all these different creatures, um, extraterrestrials kind of link in with this whole thing. Giants all kind of link in with this could have all just been depicted wrong through the premise of language that people are trying to rediscover this now using the exact words that they're translated to now when that may have never actually been the words to even begin with and getting into the whole idea too. These could have all theoretically been the same thing that people are just fitting under different paradigms too, because if there were giants, if there was some type of culture that existed beforehand that went underground, who's to say they didn't have their own form of technology and these like flying chariots could have been something that they just didn't understand at the time where it could have just been some type of like, flotation or not flotation device, but you know, some type of like hot air balloon, for example, or something that they just kind of blew into these giant stories and everybody again is holding them to the exact words. And it could have just been some basic form of technology, or they could have been more advanced than us to begin with. And over time through the caves, they ended up going into a more primal state where they were begging for food. So they started cannibalizing on humans and doing this and doing that, where everybody has this modern depiction of what giants are being these like ravenous creatures that'll just eat anybody that comes across their path when originally they could have been an advanced culture and they turned into that over generation and generation of not actually understanding their technology, which is no different than what would happen to us. Like we have a handful of people who understand the technology, but five generations later, we're not going to know half of our technology works if we're not in society, how we are now, if we go into a part where we need to live primal again, 
to five generations, we're not going to know any of our technology works and we're going to be totally different people than what we are now. No, completely, man. And that's like the crazy thing about just, you know, being on the, the, um, you know, the precipice of technology and the fact that, you know, if one, one solar flare or some sort of natural disaster that hits a grid and all of a sudden, like, you know, this, this podcast doesn't exist. Like basically a ton of amenities that we use in everyday life aren't, aren't around. And yeah, how long, you know, until, you know, you can't find a book on, you know, how to, how to cultivate a garden or something, you know? And that's why I collect on books, man. Collect on books and knowledge because you never know what could happen on either side of it. So it's like learn every skill you possibly can because every skill, like that's one thing that you know how to do. So nobody can ever take that away from you. And tangible books. I know everybody likes digital copies of stuff, but it's like you have a whole bookshelf and you have not just, you know, fiction books, just fun books. You have stuff that's like how to bushwhack, how to cook, how to do this, how to do that that's like tangible knowledge that you could theoretically carry around with you that nobody could take away from you. And it's always better in my opinion. Like obviously don't go like completely doomsday black pilled world's going to end tomorrow. But at the same time though, it's like, I'd rather be prepared than not prepared. So at least know your basics. And at the worst, you know, there may not be some giant apocalypse that happens, but if you're ever out camping, something ever happens, at least you will know how to survive until you could get help. Like you never know when those skills might actually come into play. Cause anybody that's been in a plane crash where they're in the middle of like the woods somewhere or anybody that's ever had anything, anything like that happen to them, they weren't expecting that was going to happen. So it's like, you bet it's better to have the skills because you never know when you might end up needing them, even just for something simple, like doing something in your backyard, just knowing some survival skill one day might be like, Oh, I know a quick, easy way to make this thing happen real quick for us. Like, boom, here you go. Oh, it's too windy to have a fire. Let's make a, let's make a Dakota fire pit. Let's, let's dig a hole, make another side hole. Like let's set it up. Let's do it. Like you never know when they might actually come into use, man. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I mean, you know, no, that's a good point too. You know, I mean the way the world goes and just, I mean, you know, ancient cataclysms too like i think about that all the time uh just how you know the the what is it the the toroid the what is that we go through some torrid meteor stream i believe uh every like november and june i think i don't quote me on that but you know where there's a ton of you know rocks just hurling towards us um all the time you know one of those you know and i think it comes from behind the sun so they're very difficult to see you never know what could hit you or any type of natural disaster, really. See, and this is why we got to work on portals instead of starships is because if there's something happening in the solar system, you're not getting out of it regardless. You got to go to some other reality. You got to go to the other side of the universe. Like, stop trying to work on spaceships for everybody. Make some portals because the other thing that will happen is if we have spaceships, all the elites are going to be able to afford seats. The average person is not. You have some kind of portal technology that everybody can just walk through. Everybody can survive at that point. Like, they need to focus what their work is somewhere else just to be precautious for everybody. Cause the world is going to be around forever. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Like, and that's the thing, like, you know, right now we've got all these like, you know, technology companies, maybe not technology, but you know, like uh, a lot of resources are going to things like uh, weapons of war. And you kind of think, you know, it would be so much better. Like there hasn't been really any, and I mean, you know, this is debatable because of course there's all the conspiracy behind, uh, you know, suppression of like, you know, um, uh, free energies and things like that. But, you know, just going in like, we haven't had a big leap in any type of real technology that could help us get off, not off the grid, but, you know, off of fossil fuels and things like that. And I know that, you know, we're we're pushing for electric vehicles, but I mean, you know, you still got to mine all sorts of materials for that. Um, On top of the fact that the battery to replace is more expensive than the damn car, so nobody can afford that either. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, even though that sounds like a nice utopian, you know, thing, I think that, yeah, we should be focusing more on these free energy ideas. And I don't know if you've heard a lot about zero point energy, but a lot of that fascinates me. I'm not a scientist or anything, but I think that that's where I, uh, I really think that we should focus our energy and our, our uh, time, you know, if we're going to be bettering humanity at the end of the day. I mean, who theoretically knows where they could be with that type of power, though? Because, like, you had Nokia Tesla that was working on that stuff back in the day, and supposedly after he died, like, his lab got raided. They took everything because he knew that that he was creating some type of source like that. But I think the government already has sources like that. Because just a prime example, if you're going to have a base in the middle of the Arctic, you're going to have a base in the middle of a cave underground somewhere, you're going to have this, you're going to have that, you need some type of power source that isn't obvious that you're there. So it's like... You can't just have like a cave hidden base and then have power lines running up to it. Everybody is fully aware that it's there at that point. And it's like if they have any deep underground bases in Arctic in the Arctic anywhere, then you have to have some type of infinite power source. So I think that they already have this and they've had it. It's just a matter of the general public doesn't get it because they still want people to be charged for their power because that's that's the whole thing is that everything has to be taxed. Everything has to be some type of money for them. So it's like they have a lot of this stuff. Again, it's just, it's hidden from the average person, even if it's not giant scale to the fact where it could power an entire city, which again, it probably could. Cause if it can give enough power to an entire industrial comp- military industrial complex, like yeah. it, it could theoretically cover an old town. No problem. Think about how much equipment set up there. So it's like, I think they all have it. It's just a matter of, they don't want you to know we have it. And you have that 30 year ahead idea. So maybe in 30 years, if they're already working on it, if they already have it now when it's full steam, maybe we will get it but it'll be one of those things that it's so goddamn expensive that nobody will be able to afford it besides the elites anyways. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of sad when it comes down to it. Cause you're just like, yeah, you're like, you know, the, the early adopters, you know, once you have it, um, you know, you can basically, I mean, you can, you can do anything you don't own, you know, if you, especially if you have like the infrastructure and the know how to create your own food to, you know, you know, homestead, so to speak with the free energy, you know, then you're beholden to basically no one. And of course, that's kind of the big uh, issue that the government has is, you know, control there. So, no, I completely agree. And especially, yeah, what you're saying, like 30 years, like, I guess I, I figure that we have something like that. I guess I'm just more sad that uh, there hasn't been a, the public hasn't been able to like even been read into any of this, you know, in any capacity. But that is what it is, you know. It's until there's a reason. That's why we get any technology is because there's a reason. The reason we get cell phones because they want to be able to track everybody. The reason we have GPS because they want to track everybody. The reason we get any piece of technology is because it's still practical to them, even if it's not practical for military use anymore. And I don't think that free power is ever going to be one of those things just because of the fact that it's never going to be beneficial to them to give us free power like it would be for everything else. The only way that it might be is if people start living off grids and they can't actually track everybody maybe they would give people that so that there is some infinite source of them being able to know, all right, this is their location. This is where they're at. But that's the only practical use I could ever see for it is when they can't do anything about people living off grid anymore and they got to keep track of them somehow. They'll be like, all right, you can have an infinite power source, but here's the thing. It's connected to the internet all the time. (laughs) Yep. And then you gotta, you gotta plug in, you gotta do your little daily check in with us. Oh yeah. Not completely. See, because that's that thing. It's illegal to live off grid unless you have something plugged in. It has to be water, power, something like that. So they'll just yeah. they'll alternate it into being that when everybody's just gone. But we're at a point where it's like 
we're so dependent on technology that I think that most people, if they did go off to live in the woods, they'd still have technology incorporated with the way they were going about life. So that would be like where they would get people is that even the off gridders, they still want to be able to like make a passive income by, you know, posting it on TikTok or whatever the hell might be around at the time. So it's like, there's still that connection to it. Or even people being able to just want to communicate with others to learn new skills, do this, like there's still going to be a way they're going to try to tie people back into it. So even if we're off grid, as long as there isn't some type of solar flare that knocks out technology, it's still going to be incorporated into the daily life of the people that are trying to get away with everything. Now, hundred percent. Now I was kind of quick, uh, curious just like um you know talking kind of about these like doomsday and you know like being off grid but you know what's your ideas of uh there possibly being like a breakaway civilization uh you know either here on earth like now or in the future honestly see i've always kind of been on the fence where i think that society is going to get to a point where you have people that want to live in the cities and that's going to be like the giant hubs where it's all going to be like uh you know electric cars this that your safety's in the city. Your safety's in the city. They track everybody. They got digital income. They got cards that have like your individual numbers on it and everything that you got to scan. And then there's going to be the other side that doesn't want any of that, that are going to try to break away and live off everywhere else. So I think it's just a matter of time. And I've been saying this for the past like two years, I've been doing the show that I think that there's going to be a divide between the people that are on the in-between. They get looked at as like, Oh, those are the people that are below us. Those are that. And then there's going to be these advanced heavily organized cities that everybody thinks like safety's in the city. And if they go out, all of these primal people are going to hurt them. or are going to do this, not realizing that it's just normal people that don't want to be wrapped up in all of the trends and everything that's happening with society of saying, you have to be okay with this. You have to do this. You have to do that. They just want to get away from it all and just raise their kids and just be off in the wilderness somewhere. All right. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. I mean, we still kind of, we even have modern, versions of that kind of with the, you know, like uncontacted tribes in the, the Amazon and things like that, you know, that there's a whole entire world and like technology is like almost, you know, thousands of years ahead of them. Kind of like, you know, we think of aliens being like thousands of years or millions of years ahead of us, you know? So it is kind of crazy to think about that. I've just wondered too, like, you know, with the, with the military industrial complex and everybody who's, um, you know, under that umbrella, having, you know, all these free energy, uh, you know, possibly having craft that can go off world, you know, being able to, uh, possibly, you know, materialize in areas. And then let's just say something goes South right around here, you know, like, uh, a super volcano blows up or, you know, a nuclear Holocaust of some kind, you know, you know, they're going to, do you want to live in a bunker your entire life? Or would you take that, uh, the technology you've already got and like transfer yourself off world and go somewhere else? And, you know, who knows, maybe come back, after all the dust is settled later on and, uh, you know, reclaim earth again, but under your, you know, flag. It'll just end up turning into uh, the matrix cause the world will be actually destroyed and everybody will be just hooked up to the back of the neck into this other reality that's existing. And they would just trick people at that point and be like, Oh yeah, let's go back into normal reality. And they just shift you into it like a more advanced program at that point. But realistically they just got everybody just in these little, little things just feeding out of feeding tubes and then the elites can run free and do whatever they want in this planet. (laughs) Everybody just laying back with their Oculuses, just like, yes. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) That's that's the, that's the way of the future, man. That's the way of the future, I guess. I mean, regardless, it's probably going to end up being the way of the future anyways, because everybody's going to eventually just try to find a way to do a job within like a virtual reality and not have to leave home and do this just out of safety. And I I mean, I think it's bound to happen at some point, regardless, even if they do the whole idea about, um, 
universal income. Then at that point, everybody's going to just end up living in a digital reality anyways, because everybody's so depressed from this reality that they want to create another reality that people can go in and be whoever they want to be. Because I mean, even with all the people that are, you know, they want to be an animal or they want to be the opposite gender. They want to do this. They want to do that. You know, there's certain confines within our physical reality that you can't necessarily make those things happen in the mannerism of which those people want those things to happen. But if you transfer into a digital reality, you want to not be necessarily a person dressed up as a cat, but a literal cat. You can be a literal cat. If you want to be the opposite gender, you can just select your character, do whatever you want within that reality. And there's no physical real world repercussions of like having to do surgery, having to re continuously take pills, have to wear a costume. If you're trying to get into the animal thing, like it just opens up a new doorway. And I think that we're kind of leading that way where everybody's just going to be so depressed in this reality because they can't do the things that they're told that they yeah. can do that. They're just going to transfer over and make it so that they can go off on a tangent and do whatever the hell they want to do. <laughs> I mean, theoretically you got some psychopaths. That may not be a bad idea. You just give them their own like little virtual box and they can just be a, serial killer all day long and nobody else would have to deal with them at that point. <laughs> right. I mean, that is interesting to uh, kind of contemplate too. And I mean, it seems, you know, I mean, obviously like, uh, you know, the generations, like, I mean, you know, my grand, my grandparents, like remember when like, uh, you know, horses were a thing, you know, we're, we're traveling around on horseback or whatever. And now you've got, you know, kids who, um, you know, they grow up and they've got an iPad in their hands from the time that they're, you know, super small, you know, the more that the digital like world is integrated here, you know, I feel like the farther down that rabbit hole that we go, we'll be kind of more inclined to that kind of life, you know, we'll be integrated into it. And I mean, with the emergence of like all sorts of these, I mean, AI, you know, in even the past, like, I can't even remember AI art was like started coming out a couple of years back. And now like every, every platform is flooded with so much, especially in the, Unfortunately, in the, uh, the paranormal space, too, where you've just got, like... Except now you can't tell with the five fingers anymore because it actually gets that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the one saving grace that we had. It was just, like, look for the fingers or the extra, yeah, that weird hand or whatever that was kind of creeping around the side. But, yeah, exactly. You just don't... It's kind of uh, it's kind of becoming this big homogenized mess of, of tech and who knows what. Now you kind of just have to follow your gut because it's like even the really good AI, you get that uncanny valley feeling from. So it's like it's a matter of that now that it's hard to like necessarily make solid differentiations. You can be like, oh, just look for this. Just look for that. Just look for a fuzziness around that. It's like you kind of just have to like know your feeling and trust it because it's like any of the weird AI stuff I see, it's like you can tell. But it's just, again, more of like a feeling that you get that uncanny, creepy mm -hmm. like feeling more so than anything. And that's how you can really tell. Yeah. And I mean, I think, yeah, now they can, they've started doing it with voices. And I mean, you can still hear it in the voices, but yeah, you know, it's just, I mean, how many years until it's really perfected, but you know, probably less than 10 before we can't really tell like an actual human between. I mean, I like to think I li I'm, I'm tied. I'm team people, you know? See, at least for the language thing until it actually understands how a human talks. I think that that one's going to be a while out, but again, it could be tomorrow else and they perfect it. But usually how I can tell with the voice AI is that it talks too perfect because people will start a word, stop halfway through, they'll start it through certain words and it's like AI isn't necessarily doing that yet. So it's like if somebody talks too perfect, then you know it's not right. But if somebody has some ums thrown in there, you know, they, 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 they do something like that where they kind of start a word and then stop it and then continue on until it actually gets that characteristic right, then yeah. you're always going to be able to tell the difference. But again, 
I'm kind of have a hope for that. that that's more so just one of those things that a human can do that something else can't necessarily do is switch a yeah. thought process within the middle of a thought. But again, technology keeps improving and advancing itself. Once it actually becomes conscious of itself, who's to say that it might not be like thinking how a human thinks where it can start projecting another thought in the middle of a thought. Or maybe again, maybe that's like a thing of having a human mind where it's like, you can think about multiple things, but you only have like one focal point at that moment where a computer can process 10 different things at the same time. So it may not be that it's stopping one to think about another. It can actually just process 10 things at a time. So maybe it can't differentiate it just because humans have to have like their primary that they're thinking of at the time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, technically we are kind of a computer ourselves, you know, like, uh, Organic computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that it's um, you know, because some people uh, talk about like consciousness being kind of like a, like a, our brain is kind of like a conduit, but like consciousness kind of like uh, you know, flows through us, in a way. Um, but uh, kind of touch it back on the point where you're saying you know maybe it's um, you know how we, we can hear those you know might or those differences in the way that like AIs are talking. You know, like I kind of that's a good uh, positive way to look at it too because I mean. Um, I think that they did like a, uh, there's this um, scientific um, test that I think they did where they, they were trying to recreate seawater, you know, like uh, salt water that you just get from the ocean. But, uh, you know, you can break, but what they found was that um, after they, they basically made seawater, but it wasn't, it didn't have, there was just something missing about it. It was basically sterile seawater. It was too perfect, right? Yeah. Because it's being reproduced. it mm -hmm, It doesn't have that you know, salt of the earth, like this is, you know, it's seawater from the sea because it's from the ocean. You know, it was like, we made this in a lab. It has all the components to it. You know, everything's right. You know, the mixtures are perfect, but exactly like it's not the thing. So can there ever be a, a perfect AI voice, you know, really? Cause it's the imperfections that make things perfect. Weirdly enough, as weird as that sounds. So it's like if something's too perfect. You can always tell that it's synthetic and it's not something that's like naturally producing itself. But again, like the imperfections are in my opinion, what ends up making things the best. So it's like yeah. if AI can't necessarily make imperfections and it's always correcting itself, if it corrects out the ability to make imperfections, then yeah. it's going to get to a point where it's like, you can always tell because it's too perfect or mm -hmm. it'll perfect itself by then making itself imperfect in certain categories to make it so that it seems more human-like. So it's like, yeah, it's right. a back and forth depending on which way you think AI would end up taking itself. If it's able to learn and perfect itself, that it could perfect itself to the point of being imperfect so that it seems perfect to humans. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I mean, you know, so yeah, good for us, you know, to you know keep on, keep on, you know, listening, keep on trying to figure it out because it's only going to get harder from here to be honest, you know? Mm hmm. And uh, I guess with that, of course, um, I always like to do words of wisdom before we start wrapping stuff up. And of course, you can always come back on and be a guest again, because this has been a lot of fun. I always like these shows where you can just kind of bounce ideas back and forth off each other and stuff. But uh, I always like to kind of leave stuff on a high note. So if there's any words of wisdom you might be able to bestow on the listeners today, what might it be, my friend? It would probably be, hey, guys, if you're out there and you're curious about something, go for it. I mean, uh, you know, I... I started and I'm still doing it, uh, you know, just researching the paranormal because I love it. That's all from the heart, you know. And so if you're curious, there's people out there who have the same same interests, same likes. So, you know, if there's something, you know, you know you're missing and you're curious about something, go go after it. I don't, you know, if you got to write about it, if you want to, you know, if you do video or whatever you do, just 
get after the things you're curious about. That's what I'd say. Oh yeah, that's some good words of wisdom. Follow your passions. It's kind of something I've always saying on the show. If something interests you, go and learn as much as you can about it, and uh, you know, kind of form your own framework as far as stuff goes. And the other side of that too is don't believe everything you hear. You know, if you want to go out and research stuff, go out and research it and form your own opinions on things too. Yeah, man, truth. Where's to live by? And uh, for anybody that might want to come and find some of your shows on the internet, anything that you do, uh, where can everybody come and find you at, man? Yes, I am. Uh, if you look for skeptical eye for the paranormal guys g-u-i-s-e like uh you know a guys um that's uh the podcast i updated occasionally not so much recently but you know we keep on i keep on making shows and i'll put them out when i can so <laughs> you guys want to check that out it's interesting stuff and um yeah uh check out the uh open minds media discord i'll be dropping some cool things in there as well Oh, yeah. always recommend coming and checking out the discord and appreciate you hopping in on the ground floor and helping to build it up man of course man hey appreciate you and uh everything you do i keep listening so keep it up thanks man same to you and everybody of course don't forget to go and check out his stuff all the links will be available down in the show description so of course highly recommend always supporting other creators so definitely go and check his show out give it five stars check this show out give it five stars go around and uh pop into the discord and have some awesome conversations with both of us if you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And of course, if you guys leave a five-star review, I will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And uh, anything new as far as that goes helps out the algorithm, makes it so more people are able to see the show. So I greatly appreciate it. And uh, you guys can also share the show through word of mouth if you think that anybody will particularly enjoy this episode. Uh, you know, maybe a friend that you want to start getting into these weird topics or a friend that's already possibly into these topics. Uh, you guys can bounce back and forth, bounce ideas back and forth. Uh, you know, even include me in if you guys want to include me in a group message so I can interact with you guys. That sounds like a lot of fun too, but don't forget to always, always share the show. And if you guys have a bizarre encounter that you guys would like to report, you guys can always do so through OMM encounter reports at outlook.com. Uh, and if you guys want to get a hold of me for any other reason whatsoever, you guys can do so through inquiries while reality podcast at outlook.com or through social media. Instagram or Facebook are the ones that I'm the most active on. So definitely the most viable option if you guys want to get a hold of me. And again, you guys can always go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. But every single thing that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.